Isn't it so great to hear Edith's story? To hear how Jesus is so personal in his dealings with human beings. And the story I'm going to read from tonight, from the Bible, is another story of how his, that shows us how personally he deals with each one of us. And tonight, whoever you are, I want you to know that God is profoundly interested in you. And he knows everything about you and the detail of your life. He knows your greatest joys and your deepest fears. And he loves you very much. So let's read from Luke's Gospel. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to look at it. And it will be on the screen behind me as well. So we're reading from Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know, the name Jesus means saviour or rescuer. So in that statement, Jesus is making a mission statement about himself. He says, I've come to seek and save the lost. I'm on a mission. Now, I don't know if you remember this story in the news a few years ago. In 2010, on the 5th of August... There was a serious disaster hit a little-known mining community in Chile. And there were 33 men who got trapped underground when an earthquake made the mine collapse. These are their faces. Now, that wasn't terribly newsworthy at the time, because mining accidents happen all over the world all of the time. And sadly, that usually ends up in death for those people who are buried And people thought no differently about this one. In fact, the the Chilean government were were slightly uh, apathetic about it. And it was only as the families of these men said, no, you must do something. They may be alive. They may be trapped. That The Chilean government said, well, okay, we'll try. But to be honest, it's like a needle in a haystack. We're not sure we're going to find these men. We don't really know where to start. And so they began drilling exploratory boreholes on day one, day two, day three, hour after hour, day after day. A week went past, two weeks went past. It got to day 17, and you can imagine by this point, hope has gone. Everybody has feared the worst for these men. And at the end of a long shift, these drillers, they pull out the drill for the final time that day, and they see a a bit of litter on the end of the drill bit, and they go and they just retrieve it, thinking, well, it's just rubbish, and this is what they find. If your Spanish is good, you could probably pronounce that. It says this, we are alive and in the shelter, signed the 33. You know, at this point, every journalist in the world got on a plane and went to San Jose in Chile. Why? 
Why did this suddenly become newsworthy? Is this because hope had come alive? Suddenly this wasn't a story about death and despair and sorrow, which the world is full of. This was a story about hope, that these men could be rescued. And for the next, uh, I think it was 50 or 60 days, they prepared a rescue plan. These men were trapped underground this whole time. They found a way of getting food and water to them. And they, uh, as they made their plan, which was to, to winch somebody down a, a new hole that they prepared, and, and they got their rescue team together. And rescue workers are quite amazing people because it requires them to put themselves in harm's way in order to rescue people. So there's one particular man, and they said, well, somebody's going to have to be the first person to go down the hole, out of safety, and into the danger zone to help these guys get out. And there was a man called uh, Manuel Gonzalez. This is him. And he said, I'll go. And they said to him, the psychologists warned him, they said, we have no idea what state these men are going to be in. We have no idea what being in darkness and in such incredible heat and with little food and malnutrition, no sunlight, we have no idea what effect that's going to have on the human mind. So they said, be prepared. They might tear you to shreds. They might attack you. They might be angry with you. And he describes what happened as he got lowered into that mine and he saw them. He said, they ran. One of them already was waiting for me. They hugged me and congratulated me for being the first one. But more than anything, I was so happy to see them. Now, we love the emotional drama of a rescue. And I want you to understand the emotional, dramatic nature of the Christian faith. That there was a God in heaven who was happy and not in need of doing any rescuing. But out of his great love for the human race, he sent Jesus, his son, to come down to earth. And what you found was this, that Jesus was received, perhaps not immediately by the most religious people of the day, but he was received by all manner of people who thought they had little chance in the world of ever knowing God. And so the people who you would least expect, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinful people, came running to him. He came to seek and save the lost. Now this story today that we read, it starts with these words. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Isn't that a funny way to start a really great story? It basically says, Oh, he was actually going somewhere else at the time. But Luke, who writes this, deliberately frames this entire story with this thought that he wants you to know as the strap line that covers the whole thing. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where Jesus is going to die. He's going to be betrayed, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to be raised to life. He's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And as Luke writes this story... He wants it to be understood in the context of the greater story. So this story about Zacchaeus is all about that greater story. And what you find about this Jesus straight away is this, that he seems to be surrounded by crowds and crowds of people. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes some of the imagery of Jesus 
you kind of think he'd be at home in an empty church somewhere and maybe one or two people might go and pop in and say hello. But what you found is this. No, the Son of God, when he was on the earth, people wanted to be near him. People wanted a piece of him. They loved him. Think Hogmanay on Prince's Street. Think the London fireworks. Think those places where you see crowds of people. And that's what it was like in Jesus' day. And people wanted to be near him. And if you've never seen Jesus from that perspective and seen the magnetism that he has, you've probably never understood him very well. And I want to invite you to fall in love with him tonight and to see the wonder that he is. He's the first person in our story, Jesus. Here's the second person that we read about. His name is Zacchaeus. And we don't know loads about him other than what we read here, which is this, that he was a short man. He was a wealthy man. He was a despised man. He was a tax collector. He'd betrayed his own people to collect taxes for the enemy. And in doing so, he helped himself to the very people who he was taxing. And he helped himself to their money. Everybody hated him. He was a despised person. He was powerful. He was the kind of guy who didn't have friends. He had colleagues. He had employees. He didn't have neighbors. He had acquaintances. Maybe he knew nothing about Jesus. Maybe he knew something. But whatever it was about Jesus, it clearly attracted him to him. You see, Jesus seemed to always attract the wrong sort of people. Have you noticed that? Do you know the name Zacchaeus means pure one? Love that. When When babies are born, they're perfect, aren't they? And their mums look at them and say, oh, he's going to be a beauty, this one. He's so pure. I can only feel his mother's disappointment over his life as he turned out. I wonder if you know that, the weight of parental expectation that you failed to live up to. Well, Zacchaeus certainly knew that. And this other fact about him, that he was below the average height. Have you ever been to the cinema? Let me just ask you this question. I'm sure you've had this experience. You sit down, you've got there in plenty of time, you've watched all the trailers, you're settled in, you're comfortable, the the main picture is about to come on, and then enter the eight-foot person who comes and sits right in front of you. Have you ever had that? No, okay. Well, okay, you've got two options when that happens. The first is this, You, you kind of shuffle around, you position yourself slightly differently, you spend the film going like this or like this, one side or the other, or you swap seats with your wife, that's kind of another option, isn't it? (laughs) Here's the other thing that you could do. You could tap the guy on the shoulder and say, look, you know what, I'm going to have trouble seeing here. Would you mind just describing the entire film for me (laughs) and just relaying it back to me a line at a time, just tell me what I'm missing here? No, of course you wouldn't do that. Of course you would position yourself to be able to see the film. Of course that would be the the most sensible thing, wouldn't it? And in this story, we we see that Zacchaeus just does the obvious thing. You see, as a short guy, he was used to seeing the backs of people's heads and hearing other people's description of what was going on. But he did the right thing, which was this. When it came to Jesus, he knew this was so important that he couldn't risk seeing this second hand. And so he climbs up a tree. 
He does something slightly undignified for a man of his power and prowess in his day. He climbs a tree because he wants to see Jesus firsthand. Do you know you can spend your life listening to other people's views of Jesus? You can hear what books say. You can hear what television broadcasters say. You can hear what some of the greatest minds on the planet say. But do you know, you can miss Jesus and get a second-hand view of him. Because actually, Jesus wants you to see him direct. Don't settle for what somebody else says. Find him for yourself. If you're a Christian, find him for yourself in the pages of scripture. Ask him to show himself to you. If you don't know him here tonight, then you can see him for yourself. You can read the Bible. You can read the stories about him. And you can ask him to show yourself, to show himself to you. You know, we're comfortable sometimes following our own worldview, which is often formed by our peers or our parents or our politics. We can be comfortable to live in a box that's ignorant of the bigger questions of life. But Zacchaeus did the right thing. He found out for himself about this man who had the power to change his life. You know, don't assume that if something is important, then somebody will go out of their way to tell you. Jesus said, broad is the road to destruction and narrow the road to eternal life. Position yourself to know Jesus. We have a course that we run here at King's. It's called POD. It's Paths of Discipleship. It's a, it's a thing that helps people find Jesus through simply studying some scriptures and asking some questions. And if that's you, we'd love to help you with that tonight. So we see that Zacchaeus positioned himself to get knowledge. And then there comes this great moment in the story. Zacchaeus is just observing from above. He's a fly on the wall. But then Jesus, the Son of God, stops. And he looks up at a tree with a sinner called Zacchaeus hanging on it. And he calls his name out. He says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. See, isn't that amazing that Jesus would take time out of his mission to people's spot and to call this man by name? But that tells us something about the God of the Bible, that he knows you personally. I think Zacchaeus, initially, he must have smiled and thought, wow, he knows my name. How cool is that? But then, after he thought about it for a split second, he must have thought, oh, he knows my name. I wonder what else he knows. Because <laughs> the truth is this, that Jesus knew everything about him, and he knows everything about you and me. Yet that doesn't put him off us. That doesn't send him away or drive him away. That, dr that draws him to us because he knows that we need his help. And here's the question that everybody is asking on that day. They're thinking, Jesus stops to address this man that everybody knows is a bad man. And the question that everybody is asking, the crowd is saying, ooh, what's he going to say? What kind of public rebuke or chastisement would be suitable for him? Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. 
on route to the cross, Jesus stops and finds a prime example of somebody who needs his grace. And he says, not can I, or would you, or should we, or perhaps. He says, I must. Do you hear that command in Jesus' voice? I must save you, Zacchaeus. You're on a road to self-destruction. You must be saved. I must come to your house. And he doesn't, doing it, he doesn't do it with the battering ram of judgment. He does it with the invitation of friendship. You know, meals in, in those days were signs of friendship. They are now, actually, aren't they? You only have meals with people you like. Is that right? That's why some of you sit on your desk at work and you have your sandwiches by yourself, because you don't <laughs> like your colleagues. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm not your friend. But then when the barriers drop down, you think, hey, I'll sit next to you for my sandwiches. See, meals signify friendship. And Jesus' first response to a sinner called Zacchaeus and to any human being is this, is to step towards us and to shake our hand and to say, I want to know you. We can be friends. Whatever has come between us, there is a way through this. And And Zacchaeus gives him an enthusiastic response. It says he welcomed him gladly. Jesus would tell parables of a lost coin being found or a lost sheep being found or a lost child returning home. And everybody understood this wonderful message that he was saying, that if you feel lost and far away from God, there is always a way back for you. There is always a God who is pursuing you and waiting for you. So when Zacchaeus hears these words saying, I must come to your house, Zacchaeus is like, woohoo, let's go. What happens next is absolutely brilliant. Do you love this next bit? Oh, it doesn't tell us what happens next. Isn't this the crazy bit of the story? This is the climax. He goes into Zacchaeus' house. The doors close. Often Jesus would take Peter, James, and John with him wherever he went. And you know, and, and they would record, you know, so the word would get passed out, so it would be recorded in the Gospels for us. Clearly not on this occasion, because not a peep comes out of this house. Isn't that frustrating? Because this is the big moment. But, you know, that's the reality of faith. See, Christianity and the Christian faith, it's not what, about what everybody else thinks. It's not about what the crowd is saying. It's not about whether you were born in a Christian family. It's not about whether you call yourself Baptist or Catholic or Pentecostal or or any other label. It's this, that you've had a personal interaction with Jesus. And that is very different for every one of us. There's some components to it which we can see here, but it's a personal conversation where basically... Jesus can ask us anything he wants, and we get to say, yes, you're right. We do know that it's friends first before confrontation about sin. And what we do know is this, that being a friend doesn't mean Jesus just patting Zacchaeus on the back and saying that he's doing just fine, because clearly he wasn't. There's serious things that have to be said to Zacchaeus. Money fraud, for one. 
And any one of us who chooses to follow Jesus, we have to be ready for him to say, you know what? There's things in your life that we'll need to adjust. Becoming a Christian isn't about sitting in a crowd or in a church or an assembly. It's about a private interaction with Jesus. But what we also see here, the Bible uses these two words to describe Christian conversion. It's faith and repentance. It's putting your trust in a person and it's a change of life. And what you see is the change of life. When Zacchaeus comes out of that house and everybody is having a bit of a moan, you find that he says, right now I'm going to give anybody I cheated four times back. That's a pretty good return, isn't it? Four times back what I cheated them out of. And I'm going to give away loads of money. His life was transformed. Surely the most stingy person in the town now become, became now known as the greatest philanthropist. If you came into that town the next day and didn't know Zacchaeus' history, you would just think, he's the most generous guy around. Wow. Do you know that's what Jesus does in somebody's life when he gets hold of them? He takes their past, he forgives it, he gets rid of it, and he changes you, and he changes you at such a deep level that what begins to come out of your life is good and helpful and constructive and blesses the world rather than takes away from it. And we, we see in those verses, we see that Zacchaeus reacted to Jesus. He welcomed him. But do you know there was another group in that parable who had a rather different reaction? You could call them the tutters or the crowd. Because when Zacchaeus came out, everybody was saying, I can't believe that Jesus went to dinner with him. You see... Here's the mistake that the crowd made. They felt that they were better than Zacchaeus, and perhaps they were in some ways. But they felt by being better than Zacchaeus, they didn't need Jesus. And so they were benching-marking themselves against the wrong guy. See, you know, it's easy to benchmark yourself against somebody who's not very good at something, isn't it? In fact, that's what we spend our life doing. You know, we... We find people to play football with who we're slightly better than. Isn't that right? Or we work in a job place where hopefully we feel like we've got something over other people. We, we love to just find our worth as human beings from just being slightly ahead of somebody else. But in doing so with God, we miss the point entirely. People shouldn't be comparing themselves to Zacchaeus. They should be comparing themselves to Jesus. And if you compare yourself to Jesus, oh boy, you need him. You need him. All of us have fallen short of God's standard, and we need him. Jesus only divides the world into two categories of people, sinners and himself. And all of us need him. And the crowd became so preoccupied with Jesus' tendency to hang out with sinners, the word on the street was that he was actually one of them. They said, look, he's a bad man too. And for those not paying attention, their suspicions were right. He ended up crucified on a cross. They said, look, he's clearly a criminal. But do you know, on the cross, 
was Jesus' greatest moment for people like Zacchaeus and you and me as he took away our sin. We started, I started by telling you the story of, of that, that uh, Chilean mine. After they had evacuated all 33 of those miners safely, and they all went up to the surface, and many of the secular news channels didn't record it, but many of those men fell to their knees and worshipped God as they came out into open air for the first time in 69 days and thanked God for his mercy. And down that rescue shaft, down in that mine that had been their prison for 69 days, was one rescue worker called Manuel Gonzalez. And he held up to the TV cameras of the world a sign which translated from Spanish said, Mission Complete Chile. What he was saying was this, it's done. Job done. Rescue complete. And then he himself was winched to safety. On the cross, Jesus uttered these words in his dying moments. He said, it is finished. Your sin, my sin, Zacchaeus' sin, the sin of the world, dealt with once and for all by Jesus. And he says it over your life today, it is finished. And while other people were looking at the cross saying, what a waste of a life, what a shame, or clearly he was bad, there was a man called Zacchaeus who probably heard news of that incident. He says, oh no, I know exactly what that's about. He did it for me. friend of sinners came to rescue sinners let me ask you to apply this in closing tonight and then we're going to sing together if you're a Christian here tonight I want you to encourage you to enjoy your salvation to know that God has rescued you not by anything that you've done but because of his great love for you Always remember that your goodness never contributed to the equation. So when you feel like you've failed God, let that draw you to him, not push you away from him. There's a second group here tonight and you're feeling distant from God. You're feeling like a child who's run away. And you're unsure about returning. And God says, come. He says, come. Welcome. I want you back, no matter what you've done. Then there's a third group here tonight, and perhaps you've never asked Jesus into your life, and you've never thought about that or asked him to do that clearly. And tonight, very simply, you can do that. You can say, God, forgive my sins. Do what you did for Zacchaeus 2,000 years ago. I believe that what you did on the cross was for me. Come into my life and save me and help me. And I will live for you.